Welcome to Life Science Marketing Radio, the podcast where marketing leaders inside and outside the sciences share their creative ideas and practical approaches to increasing your marketing ROI. Here's your host, Chris Connor. Howdy, folks. The year is almost over. You're probably planning for next year. I hope you're almost done with that. I know what that process looks like. I'm not going to mess around today. We're going to dive right in. Keith Betts is the Vice President of Client Services at the media agency Butler Till. Keith, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for having me. So first of all, today we're going to talk about media strategy, which seems to be your thing. And I want to dive into that. But tell us a little bit about what Butler Till does in terms of media strategy, who your companies are and when they, who your customers are and when they engage with you. Butler Till is the third largest independent media agency in the country. And I oversee the uh, division of Butler Till called the Butler Till Health Group, which practices exclusively in the healthcare space. So we offer media strategy, planning, buying, um, and analytics services to a number of clients in healthcare spans big and small pharma and biotech, uh, medical devices, and uh, health and hospital systems. So kind of runs the gamut of the entire uh, healthcare uh, ecosystem. Okay. So you know, the audience for this podcast, largely life science, some of those folks may work in biotech. Um, but I'm guessing that, you know, the principles of this media strategy are the same. But for an example, a client comes to you, they're launching a new diagnostic or a pharma product, something like that, right? Yeah. And when, when do you recommend people start thinking about what their media strategy should be? Ideally, as soon as you've identified an opportunity to market a product uh, for a couple of reasons. I think thinking about media strategy pretty far upstream can add value to lots of other elements of the marketing effort. Um, for instance, uh, media strategy going through that process will uh, help us understand uh, who is the right audience uh, to target with your, with your product or service. Um, uh, are there any kind of segmentation things that we need to be thinking about in terms of who within the larger universe is our highest value target. Um, it might help us understand geographical considerations, right? There might be uh, parts of the country or markets that are uh, potentially um, poised to be more valuable to you uh, than others. It also helps with understanding uh, messaging and creative strategy, right? So a lot of the a lot of the research that we'll do as part of the media strategy process is really insightful and in helping understand everything we can about the different audiences, whether those are, you know, patients or doctors or pharmacists or um, you know, capital equipment decision makers at hospitals. All of that understanding that comes out of the research that we do really helps us understand not only how can we reach these people most effectively through media, but potentially how should we be talking to them and how should we be leveraging the different media channels in ways that really play to the strength of that 
uh, media channel. The bottom line is that a lot of times for our clients, uh, the out-of-pocket media costs are some of the high, the largest budget items that they're going to be spending their money on. So being able to understand how the media strategy can affect all the other areas that uh, you're also putting budget against and, and effort really just helps make sure that everything is working together as strong as they can. Yeah, that makes sense, especially when you say it's the biggest, you know, can be a significant part of the overall budget. Um, you know, in my experience at life science companies, when we were doing print, and I don't, I, I know some people are still doing print. Uh, Rebecca Rapucci was on here last <laughs> week. Sure, yeah. And she actually, her whole interview was about how when she started it five years ago, they were spending like 63% of their budget on print. They don't spend anything on print anymore, but there's still media out there. And, and so it really makes sense if that's a big part of your thing. And for a lot of people still, it's trade shows to put some effort into that. Talk about what goes into developing a strategy like what you're describing. In its kind of simplest form, a media strategy should be, should really be something that gives you a plan, a, a blueprint for how you're going to reach and impact a specific audience, right? And like I said, whether that's uh, patients, doctors, um, you know, there's, there's lots of different ways to develop that media strategy, but they all start with this really, really strong understanding of the audience, you know, beyond just demographics. I mean, I think, you know, years ago, it was okay to just say, okay, we're trying to reach you know, women ages 25 to 54 with a household income of 100,000 plus. And here's uh, some DMAs or markets that we want to make sure that we're reaching. The abundance of data that's available now to do better targeting uh, absolutely gives us opportunities to be thinking on a, on a much different scale. Uh, so beyond just just demographics. Um, so we're really starting to look at, you know, behaviors and opportunities to really engage with people and to ultimately motivate them to do something, right? Whether it's, um, you know, download a piece of information, watch a video. Ultimately, we're trying to get them to take some kind of action, talk to their doctor. And until you really know these people at a, at a pretty intimate level, it's almost irresponsible to think about which tactics you should be deploying in order to achieve whatever the campaign goals are, right? Because ultimately each tactic, you mentioned print before, you know, print, although the overall spend has gone down um, quite a bit, um, still has strengths, you know, in certain specialty areas, print is still the most trusted source of information. Um, so it's not a one size fits all in terms of which tactics make sense and which don't, but each tactic has its own strengths and weaknesses. And ideally they're selected because we feel like they maximize the chances for success. For instance, a client, we might have a client that just loves email campaigns because in the past they, they launched one and they were able to gain opt-ins for, let's say like a CRM program. Right. Right. Um, which is great. And that's using email for its strength. If you then tried to use email uh, to generate broad awareness 
you're you're going to be disappointed <laughs> partially because the you know a success rate with email is that you might have about 20% of your your target list actually opening the email um, and the rest are just deleting it out of their inbox that as compared to something like display banners or or tv which are trusted awareness driving tactics you know you you'd want to employ one of those so so you really have to know which tactics will activate your strategy and not the other way around right um it's important to develop a a strong media strategy that's based on what you know about your audience before you run down the uh kind of tactical rabbit hole so talk a little bit about how so you're talking about the how the insights in your strategy and what you understand about your audience influences the tactics you choose. So you're reaching the right Mm -hmm. people. How do you use those same insights or other insights from the same effort? How do those influence your creative assets? That's interesting. Um, because as a media agency, we actually, we want to be in a, being in a position where we're, we're collaborating with, uh, with creative agencies. So it's very typical. I mean, I, I think right now we probably have about 15 to 20 different creative agencies that we, that we collaborate with. It's always interesting to provide them, uh, some of the insights that are coming out of our research, right? Because they're doing their own research. They're, they're having focus groups and, um, you know, testing messaging to try and see what's going to work, what's not. But the proof's in the pudding, right? Once we, once we actually activate a campaign and it goes live, some of the reporting that's coming out of these campaigns is, is really insightful in terms of what messaging is actually working and what's not. We'll do things like A-B message testing uh, with a live campaign to see which one is actually driving better engagement, you know, which one is, it's just really resonating with the audience. And it's funny because as, as valuable as that is, it's not always that common for that type of information to be shared between agencies. And I, I honestly can't figure out why, because it, um, because it is so valuable, but we make a habit of, uh, as part of our reporting, which obviously the clients have visibility to that we're involving the creative agencies as well. So they can understand what's working, what's not, and how does that help them optimize their creative assets? And I, I think in the same vein, the insights that come out of our planning and strategy development, like way further upstream, also sometimes provide some some uh, some insights into the audience that, uh, that the creative agency or the client maybe uh, didn't know. And it also kind of gets back to the opportunity for us to really leverage the channels and the tactics to maximize their their individual strengths. So, for instance, you might you might have a a message, uh, a campaign that you want to send out to you know a particular audience. But the way that you do that for a tactic like email should be different from how you do that in a tactic like display or social or, you know, name your other channel because those tactics each have their own strength. And there's a way that people want to be talked to in each of these channels that needs to be kind of authentic and true to that channel, right? If you, if you basically just take a, a print ad, make a PDF of it and send it out via email, people would be pretty disappointed with what they were going to experience, right? And ultimately that, um, that has an impact on the brand and what people think about the brand. So it all needs to be kind of thought of uh, together. 
That's a great point. We've had a conversation on this podcast several times about how customers want to interact with companies and how brands like Google and Amazon and how people are being trained to interact in all those environments set an expectation for how they interact with everybody else, you know, even if you're completely different from Google and Amazon. And so that's a similar idea, I think, in that when you go into an email, you have an expectation of a certain tone and way of addressing yeah. someone. And the same thing, it's different in a print ad. I mean, an email is a little more personal. A print ad might be a little more dramatic looking. And, you know, you can imagine there's a difference for every other channel. Yeah, I mean, one one example that comes to mind, I was at a, a conference recently and somebody was giving examples for using Instagram really effectively. And on the, you know, please don't do this list was, you know, having a call to action on an Instagram ad that asks the patient to go talk to their doctor, right? <laughs> when you're on Instagram, you're, you, you, right? I mean, you're looking <laughs> to be entertained and it's a, it's a visual platform. And, you know, the idea that you're supposed to, from a, an Instagram post, then feel motivated to go call your doctor about something is just ludicrous, right? Right. Um, it's just not going to happen. But, you know, the example of like, hey, how, we, how you could do this was, you know, it was, it was much more visual in nature, um, potentially even unbranded, even the idea that like a, a patient might not want to, while they're on Instagram, they might not be in a position to be thinking about like a certain disease or condition that they have. But if there's a more general message around like being healthy and living an active lifestyle and, you know, things that alert a little bit more consistent with what they're expecting to receive on that channel in terms of engagement and information, way more authentic. It's going to, you know, really help help your efforts far better than if you're just trying to cram that talk to a doctor message into, into the wrong platform. Yeah, that would be kind of a buzzkill. <laughs> so, yeah. Do you just have a little bit. these symptoms? Put your phone down uh, right. right now and call your yeah, MD. Yeah, exactly. Um, all right, let's talk about measurement. What what kinds of things do you look for and what do you need to make adjustments along the way in the strategy? Measurement needs to be part of the conversation from the beginning, right? Because if we don't if we don't understand how the client or the brand is defining success uh, with this campaign then we've kind of set ourselves up for failure from the start, right? And so everything needs to be in service of achieving that success. You know, something that we we try and do very early on is, you know, identifying the right key performance indicators or, or KPIs. These are the metrics that we're going to be measuring throughout the course of the campaign to say it's working, it's not working based on something that maybe is working. We want to do more of that based on something that's not Obviously, we want to do less of that or potentially take it out of the plan altogether. So with the abundance of data that's available coming out of these campaigns, there's no excuse for taking a set it and forget it approach anymore. That used to be the case when it was just purely like broadcast because, the you know, you would the lag time between your campaign being live and understanding what was actually working was so great that you know, clients and brands were in a position where they had to be spending money for months before they even knew that something was working or not. Now, optimizations are happening on a, on literally a daily basis. So we're, 
we're always tuned in to those uh, metrics, those KPIs to make sure that we're adjusting kind of on the fly. I guess an important point is that like a lot of clients, you know, you might have the expectation that you're receiving campaign reporting on a like a monthly basis. That's, that's fairly common. Sure. <laughs> you should make sure that uh, optimizations aren't just happening on a monthly basis, right? So um, your agency has a responsibility to be making those, uh, pulling those levers and making those changes on a on a much more frequent basis than monthly. What the monthly report should do would be to give you insight into on a macro level, what's working, what's not, how does that potentially affect things like creative, like we talked about, but then also give you uh, insight into some of the optimizations that took place over the month that they might not get visibility to on a daily basis. Measurement is arguably the most important piece of this because if you can't with confidence understand um, what the impact is of your efforts, then you have to kind of call in the question why you're doing it in the first place. All right. So you mentioned it was hard. It was difficult for in in the past uh, to have you know the lag time between actually purchasing and having media go out and then getting the results back made things difficult. So I think there's a similar challenge for a small budget. If you don't have a lot, maybe you have less data coming back. You, you can't do as many things. Does that make measurement impossible or does it make it more important still? That's, that's a good question. Um, smaller budgets and, and even in some cases, you know, I'll, I'll, you could reframe smaller budgets into just smaller opportunities, right? So, you know, in the case of rare disease, for instance, you might be talking about a patient population that's pretty small or potentially a pretty small HCP audience, which would then in turn kind of dictate a smaller budget. So it's not always just about the fact that a, uh, a, a client doesn't doesn't have the money to spend. In some cases, they just don't need to have a, a huge budget. But it doesn't make measurement any less important. And actually, I, I would I would argue that it, it places a premium on on the measurement because the number of people that you're looking to impact is is smaller. The market size might be smaller. You need to have a really confident and accurate understanding of what's happening and if you're moving the needle or not, especially when it's on a, a smaller scale like that. We also, you know, it's fairly common for uh, a client organization to kind of want to dip their toes into media before they go gangbusters, whether that's because it's the first time that they're commercializing a drug or a device or whether it's because they, you know, maybe did something years ago that didn't work out the way they wanted it to. Either way, they, you know, they want to start small. It's fairly common for us to be setting up test market campaigns, right? So we might identify a segment of the audience or uh, just a few geographic areas that we're going to deploy a test campaign to measure that in a way that we feel is statistically significant and, and that we can have confidence in our ability to then scale that on a much larger scale if, if it proves out, right? But you need to have the measurement in place to be able to understand that. You know, more and more, the uh, you know executive leaders of these organizations are they're willing to spend the money on campaigns that are going to prove out to be ROI positive for them, but they want to start small, right? They need to be. Uh, we need to gain some trust, and we need to uh, prove 
the value of what media can do. And so that's it's a fairly common position for us to be in now. It's kind of exciting to, to think about the opportunity to run a smaller test campaign and then watch it grow. And I think the, you know, the folks on the, on the brand side always appreciate the opportunity to be able to do that as well. So, I, yeah, I was thinking you know, the geographical component is something that I don't think about enough and being able to target, you know, a specific location. So for, you know, my life science listeners, if you're doing Google AdWords and you want to do a test campaign, you could certainly narrow it down to a region where your audience is highly concentrated and hope to get or expect to get a reasonable amount of response or enough data is what I'm really saying to understand whether that's working or not and tweak it in a local area before you roll out ads or any everything else to the rest of the country. Talk about what kinds of things you do to optimize a media campaign while it's underway. Really depending on what media we're running and which, uh, which, which tactics are being used. Um, there's, there's lots of different, different ways. Um, you know, what, one thing we typically try to get clients to understand is that a media campaign after it goes live is, is ideally going to look a lot different than it did when it, when it started. Right. And, um, it's not a static, uh, thing and we shouldn't expect it to be. So from a, from a budget standpoint, for instance, we might've earmarked certain percentages of the overall budget to different tactics and channels. And, you know, the way we look at that, it's our responsibility to, to kind of, you know, obviously stay within the overall budget parameters that were set, but how that money gets allocated uh, should be pretty fluid, right? So that um, if, for instance, you know, we see that engagement uh, with a certain publisher or a certain tactic is uh, really outperforming what we would consider to be successful, then we might want to shift budget and activity towards that. And conversely, if something's not working, we're going to want to understand why. We're very transparent in that we'll we'll give the publishers and media partners feedback on what's working and try and understand why maybe something isn't working to let them try and work with us to figure out how can we make it better. That's an important part of what we do because like in this digital world, it's it's not static and uh, campaigns shouldn't look the same as they did when they launched, you know, a few weeks or months later. So there's a lot of optimizations that happen on a, on a fairly regular basis for a platform like, you know, programmatic display or, or a search campaign. Our team's in there literally on a daily basis, pulling different levers to make sure that we're optimizing towards uh, the different KPIs and the metrics that are, that are in place. Obviously, Something like print, a little bit more difficult to understand sometimes what's working, what's not. But if you're employing something like print, it's probably because you recognize that from an awareness standpoint is providing some value. And you might you might have an awareness study in place to help you understand or justify why you're why you're using something like print. But for digital, the optimizations are happening pretty rapidly and, and very frequently. All right, let's talk about one last thing, and that is customer lifetime value and how that relates to how people should think about media in their campaigns. It's interesting. You know, I guess first, <laughs> first it's important to recognize that client organizations should 
have at least attempted to, to, to understand what the lifetime value is of their different customers, right? Whether that's a, a patient or, uh, or, you know, potentially somebody else, because without knowing that it's, it's, it can be fairly difficult to have a long-term strategy for understanding how much money you should spend in order to to reach and ultimately impact and I guess ideally convert those audiences to your brand or your product, right? I'll give you a, a, a for instance. We had a client uh, a couple of years ago who was launching a uh, a drug, and you know the lifetime value of the of the drug and ultimately the patients was was fairly low, and as a result, the media had to be focused on efficiency. We we had to make sure that we had a pretty complex measurement framework in place, but we we had to un, we had to understand that the cost ultimately the media cost for us to reach somebody and then get them to get on that drug was going to be fairly low. So we had to employ a really really efficient campaign that was almost hyper-focused on the cost. That compared to some clients who work in, you know, let's say like, you know, name your chronic condition area, you know, diabetes is, is a good one. There's a reason why uh, drug manufacturers spend the money that they do on some of these chronic conditions and trying to find patients because I don't want to say that they're they're not acting like drunken sailors, but but the the opportunity, the value of getting one of those patients is so great to them that they can they can spend significant money in tactics like TV because it's going to help drive the initial awareness, and then maybe you kind of do the conversion through through digital media. So if the lifetime value of the patient is is high enough. Uh, it's a little bit easier for the brand to justify why they'd be spending some more significant dollars on trying to reach them and then ultimately impact that that patient. You know, it's just a it's an easier easier conversation to have. But that's not to say that just because the lifetime value of a of a patient is high, that you need to spend a lot of money because that's certainly not the case. But um, from a budgeting standpoint and a media standpoint, it's uh, it's a little bit easier to to maybe justify or rationalize. Yeah, it makes total sense. And I just think it's a great idea that people understand what the value of a of a customer is over uh, the lifetime of that customer. I I always think back to I went to a trade show once and we were giving away um, just branded beer glasses and to you know mostly. <laughs> already drunk graduate students and I'm asking the sales guys like, why, you know, is this really, and we spent a lot of money on the, on the location. And I'm thinking, how does this pay off in the end? And I, I was kind of new to the whole trade show thing and, you know, finding out that a single chicken finger costs about four bucks and I'm going, how does this work out in the <laughs> end? But he says, you know, these guys are young, they're buying our stuff and we sell them consumables over the lifetime, the value of which is very high. So this, this works out, but it, it just, uh, made the impression on me that it's really helpful to know like what you know it's not just the sale of the first thing or whatever it's all the things after that that you're going to make money on or not and like how much right. is it worth spending yeah I, I guess you know the the real the challenge with that is sometimes that uh on the client side you haven't connected all the dots with the data that you might have to tell you what the lifetime value is right so you might know you know 
how much profit you're going to make off of the first sale of something, but the ability to follow that customer through their lifetime and, and understands the total lifetime value is, is sometimes a little bit trickier, you know? So, but in the, in the pharma and, and biotech world, um, there's been a lot of progress with that. So I feel like clients are in a better position to share that kind of information with their agencies now than they were before. Yeah. Sounds like a good idea. Well, Keith Betts, this has been really interesting. It's different than anything we've done, I think, in the past. I'm going to add a link to Butler Till in the show notes for this podcast. And I just want to thank you very much for taking the time to talk to me. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Keith had some great advice on targeting and measurement. Even if your budget is small, you ought to be thinking about hard where your customers are, what you want to achieve, and how you can measure it. Otherwise, as he said, what's the point? The holidays are coming up. I hope you enjoy them with your friends and family. My next scheduled pod is due to land on Christmas Day, so I have just decided this year that's not happening. I appreciate all of you listening, and I will talk to you in the new year. Merry Christmas and happy holidays.